What is up, folks? Justin here. This episode goes out to all the pastry chefs listening, or even any of you savory cooks that work with a pastry chef in your life. Do you enjoy those sweet bites at the end of a tasting menu? I certainly look forward to them like no other. I've got a very special episode 45 of the Emulsion podcast today. I was psyched to sit down with Jeannie Kwan, who is the pastry chef and part owner of Oriole, the two Michelin-starred modern American restaurant in Chicago. And one of you guys actually set this up. Shout out to Amanda for making this connection. We had a great time. It was certainly uh, great to talk to her. This was actually the first time the podcast was recorded in an actual restaurant, so you can definitely enjoy some ASMR action of restaurant noises in the background of this interview. I love that part. So just looking at my demographics on YouTube, which happens to be where a lot of you folks listen to this show, there's a huge percentage of you that are young and male, and not to stereotype, but that probably means most of you are like me and you're a savory cook. So you might be wondering, Justin, why did you interview a pastry chef? Well, this episode starts off a little bit slow. Give it a few minutes to get going. We talk about travel a little bit, discuss her time in Singapore and even at 11 Madison Park, and then we get into some chat that I think a lot of you first-time fine dining restaurant peeps are really going to enjoy. So everything from her philosophy on those last dozen or so bites, and more importantly, why she uses that number as a reference, the importance of having a pastry chef, not just for menu purposes, but for just strict business as a restaurant, the tug of war with savory chefs, the critical value of eating at your own restaurant, using social media to stay relevant, fear of change, passion in repetition, and I hate saying it because it sounds so cliche uh, and needy, but please dedicate some time to listen until the end because she really dropped some solid knowledge for new cooks to the industry, uh, whether it's pastry or savory, and what she would do if she was starting out today. So without further ado, my interview on episode 45 of The Emulsion with Jeannie Kwan. I mean, I like the, the delivery noises yeah. coming in and out and cool. the, the music. So what are, what are you drinking now? Are you this drinking is, chai? Um, it's a chai almond latte. Got it. Yeah. Because I had read that you gave up coffee. I did. I got back on it. It just makes me crazy, so... Like you get shakes. Yeah, so... Uh, I I do appreciate the flavor. I was drinking decaf for a while. I just like the act of having a caffeinated beverage. It's but, a ritual. Yeah, so... I don't know. Okay, good. So it doesn't freak you out that this is my second coffee of the day. Oh, no, no. No, you killed it. This is really good. <laughs> yeah, good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I definitely uh, went on a, a rant of latte art. I think we were running out of espresso because I was just <laughs> practicing. practicing all day. That's fantastic. Um, Have you ever had a job like that? Like a barista job? Or I a... had a barista job, but never. It was not like it is today. Yeah, it was yeah, just yeah. coffee, foam. Yep. Go. You know, Send and, it. Send and it. there was definitely no finesse when right. I was right. doing right. it. Right. <laughs> so, not to start it off like too heavy in any aspect, but I did read that you are also allergic to alcohol. I am. That's still yeah. the case. I, it's funny, so. <laughs> no way. <laughs> that is adorable. Um, I'll, I just stopped trying yeah. because I can only get through like a quarter of a beer before I start feeling a little sick. So, yeah. um, it's just a waste. It's wasted on me. I wish I could appreciate it. I definitely try mm. to taste if the Aaron or Sam is pairing something, I'll taste, um, but I can't. They do shots during service sometimes, and this I just started yesterday actually with the tiny you know, one. How, I'll take the pickleback shot. Right, but. right. How do you think that has affected your like career? Because especially in Chicago, oh, I mean, man. I worked here for a little while, and the drinking Did culture you, yeah. is real. It's it's intense. It's intense. I'm definitely not of the same mindset for sure. Um, it's kind of funny because the first job I ever had was a pretty dry job. You know, I was working in a bakery and people went out after work, but nothing too crazy. I do a lot of observing. Yep. For same, sure. Same. <laughs> so I, I'm not allergic, but I just don't enjoy the feeling right. of being kind of like inebriated in yeah. any capacity. So I would normally stay away from it, but it was right. definitely something that I've felt pressured into at certain points in my career right but I had a friend who he gave me this advice once where it was like if you really want to skyrocket your career in this industry just stop doing anything for maybe like two three years and then just like look up and see where you are and you'll find that you're like way further ahead than you ever could have imagined has that have you noticed that like do you notice that you've been able to either work better or 
surpass, like achieve a different level of success because you abstain from, from, from alcohol? I just feel like, I don't know, maybe it's just a, a lack of energy on my part. Mm. It just seems like when people are working constantly and tired and the stress of the job and then they just want to go out, I I just feel as if I don't know if I could even do it. Mm-hmm. I'm the same. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't understand how you can... It's this roller coaster, right? Of right. like stimulant, depressant, stimulant, yeah. depressant. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a masochist. I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely a black sheep right. in right. the industry for sure. Yeah. I I don't do drugs. I don't mm-hmm. do alcohol. Not that that hasn't been presented before. Sure. Or not that I have necessarily judgments towards either way. I think just for me personally... I, I joke sometimes if I can if I can barely do this sober, how am I gonna do it right inebriated, you right. know what I mean? Right. So I'm exactly the same. I definitely think that it's it's a culture but I think that there's also this kind of trend where people are also seeing that mm-hmm. and understanding that and there's always gonna be phases in this industry and I think that like most other professions it definitely sorts out the people that are in it for the long haul and mm-hmm. people that aren't. Yeah, and it's a really good, easy way to burn out. Yeah, it's a choice that you have to make. And, and I mean, you can make a lot more money doing a lot less physical work mm-hmm. doing this. And to be able to do it, you have to be passionate about it. And that also means enduring the suffering that goes along oh, with right. it. So. right. You know, it's it's part of the industry, and I don't necessarily think that it'll ever go away, but I definitely think there's a shift mm-hmm. that's going on, and and there's so many shifts in this industry right now. It's insane. Huge. I can't even wrap Huge. my brain around it, but, Huge. you know, you just got to do what's best for you. Mm-hmm. And I it can't necessarily, yeah, I right. can't necessarily say that I'm further in my career because of a certain set of scenarios or circumstances, but... I also think that I might not have been doing it for this long mm. if that if certain things were the case. So, so it so it didn't propel you. It just made it so that you could stay in longer. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Sustainability. More for sure. Yeah. yeah. So again, not to start it off too heavy or anything. <laughs> that, was a, that was a pretty heavy start. When is what? When's the last trip you've taken? My boyfriend, he's our chef de cuisine, Tim. Uh, we take a lot of short trips, mm-hmm. always based around food. Yep. Um, you know, we take 36-hour trips to the last one we went to is Minneapolis awesome. uh, to visit a friend of ours who just opened a new restaurant, and she makes the best pizza in the country. Really? What's it called? Shout it's out. called uh, Young Joni. Young Joni. Um, that's her, the new restaurant that opened a year ago that has um, pizza as well as other things, but she opened a place called Pizzeria Lola, I think probably maybe seven years ago now and then she has a slicer called hello pizza got it so all three restaurants are in different parts of the city you know pizza is something i could eat every day and i love it and i've eaten a lot of it around the country and i'm gonna stand firm that it's the best pizza i've ever had is it new york style is it uh the slicer is new york style i think there's a sicilian slice there as well um but the other is more kind of neapolitan style pizza yeah and it's just this perfect ratio of crust to sauce to yeah, yeah, toppings, yeah. and it's it's awesome. Had you been before to Minneapolis, or was that your first time? I, I have been before, and we went specifically to go get pizza there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we drove seven hours, and Tim had been there, I think, when he was in college, and he just had an incredible experience. Yep. Just not only the pizza was delicious, but the service was amazing. Yeah, yeah. He's like, we got to go here. So we just drove one weekend. That's fantastic. Um, we go to L.A. a lot. But the last major trip that we had was before the restaurant opened. We went to South Korea. Wow. And we went to Taiwan. Yep. And it was incredible. I'd, I had never been to Korea to a point where I remembered. Right. Um, and I don't speak Korean. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I always kind of feel like a fish out of the water. But it was definitely an eye-opening trip. For those sure. Are, those on are two both, places very high on my countries. list. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Highly that, suggest it. Yeah. Has that influenced the menu now at all? As far as like do you draw any inspiration? Because I know like when I come back from a trip, 
if I'm writing a menu, it's very easy right. to like be like, yeah, I kind of want to put gochujang on yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. You know, there was like, gochujang at, <laughs> at one point. Um, I think that the trip itself was definitely inspiring. I, I think for us, it's more just a cultural thing. It's always going to reflect our palate, mm -hmm. what we like to make, what we like to eat. Uh, we have a really diverse crew here sure. in general. Um, and so there is, in general, a lot of Asian influence, but not necessarily specifically because of that trip. Mm. Uh, like we had a Viet Vietnamese cook um, who was an amazing cook and brought a lot of things from her heritage and it was definitely especially in the beginning when we were formatting the menu and how it's evolved it's it's always been an incredible collaboration and not only with the back of the house but the front of the house most all of them used to cook Got or it. still cook yeah, so yeah, yeah. I think that is probably one of the greatest strengths that we have. I mean, this restaurant was kind of this fantasy situation that serendipitously, serendipitously <laughs> fell into place. Right. And, and just having that pedigree, having years and years of experience between all of these people that we opened with um, and that have come on since we opened has truly, truly influenced the menu for the last almost two years now. Sure. So are the are the staff meals bomb do you guys find they're pretty that? baller yeah. <laughs> i mean we we go we go we hard go on hard. staff yeah. meal yeah so there's days of course where you know time is a crunch mm -hmm. and we make pasta and salad of and course. things like that but it is the one meal we have it is sure. the one time <clears throat> where we can make something that we want to eat mm -hmm. um so everybody kind of has their role and and luckily for us, we we can order in things specifically for, for staff, staff meals, yeah. so we're not just um, confined to using Trim. leftovers. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. So sometimes we'll have wagyu <laughs> chili or something, Hell but yeah. but you know it's definitely not for lack of effort That's for family meal. That's the best. Uh, how did I, I read that you were working in Singapore for a little while? I was. How did that change how you think about pastry? Because my trip over there was amazing, but I'd be interested to hear about kind of like your takeaways and what you were able right. to garner. Singapore was one of the most beautiful countries mm -hmm. I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. It was so clean. It's a utopia. It's crazy. <laughs> um, that particular time for me was transition mode. Mm. I left 11 Madison Park. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was going to move, but I didn't know where. Yep. Uh, Singapore was the first time that I lived overseas, and it um, it made me realize how small fine dining made the world, uh, it's which is pretty awesome. Yep. I messaged a few friends asking them where I should eat, where I, what I should go see, and then one of them was like, you should just stay with my family. What? So I stayed there, and they treated me like I was a part of their family. Wow. And I got to work, <clears throat> not necessarily work, I staged with some incredible pastry chefs there. Mm -hmm. It was the first time where I was in this scenario of people that, you know, I hadn't been a pastry chef then at that point, but I was looking at them, and we had these similar interests, and these were internationally renowned pastry chefs. Right. And I was like, this is badass, you know? Not necessarily for myself wanting that type of recognition, but to be in a scenario where I could sit with these people and I could be seen as not a female chef, not a female pastry chef, but just a chef. Right. Like we were right. just talking to Part each of other. The gang. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think to have that experience and just seeing these people who have opened businesses around the world and having this very specific business acumen was one of the greatest experiences I'll ever have. Sure. And has that, did that carry over, were you involved in any capacity with 
Oriole in that in that way, like taking that experience, the business side experience? Well, when this opportunity presented itself, um, you know, Noah, who was the chef at Senza before mm-hmm. this, mm-hmm. Um, Noah, Tim, and I were at a bar, and and. I had left my job, Senza was closing, and we were just joking around, like, it would be really awesome to work together. Right. And, like, how cool would it be to bring on a pastry chef and and have them be in a significant role in this opening, and and it's awesome. It's it's a new stepping point for me, and, and coming out as a partner and an investor, it was... It was pretty awesome because people see you differently and they treat you differently. And not that I necessarily think is a good thing, but it just helps me realize that I could be seen as a serious player or whatever that means. Well, because you have some skin in the game. Exactly. There there, there is something that comes along with it. Yeah, I was was betting on us, you know, and, and... it was it was scary. It was very very. It's hard because this is a fantasy situation. It's not gonna happen again. Mm-hmm. It, the way that this fell into place and and it's it's bittersweet in that way because you kind of just want to leave it in this utopia bubble and and all always be grateful for that you know and it just showed me what is possible it showed me that I could still have an impact on an experience I think that was the biggest thing for me because pastry is is in a weird time right now you know there the jobs are kind of fewer and far between and and there's for me at least before this there was this plateau of where do I go what do I do do I take on more restaurants do I spread myself thinner and and I realized that I kind of wanted to be a little bit more focused especially for this restaurant for when we were opening you know there were opportunities to do other projects and and I said no because I wanted to focus on here and the pastry job that I had before this I was running three outlets and and it was hard it was there was definitely a learning curve that I was not prepared for and that was my first pastry chef job was running three outlets and and I definitely made mistakes and and I don't want to say that it wasn't for the better I think that when you persevere through those times you know what to expect for the next time around so right it definitely helped me get to here yeah um, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts, and maybe we can go a little bit deeper in that, why those pastry chef jobs are so few and far between. Because at least in the fine dining end of the spectrum, at least the chefs that are like going out on their own and trying to pursue their own projects, a lot of times they don't think about the pastry chef role. And, I mean, I remember, when was it? It was probably like, 2011, 12, 13, 14 were kind of like the golden age of, right. you know, where everybody had a pastry chef and there was always like that, that, I mean, like I, I have the, your, your guys section on the menu here and that was like everybody's menu. Yeah. But I know now that like, I know that for me, when I do pop-ups in Seattle, the right. other cook that I bring on specifically has those, like a really good pastry repertoire right. in him. And I, I, I really can find a lot of trust in him because there is a very easy trap to fall into right. when you will put up what people will call like a chef dessert. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So there is a lot that a pastry chef can bring to the table, but why do you feel like there are so few jobs and why? You know, it's interesting because there's so many restaurants that are opening. So I have different opinions about it because, you know, there's always, you can't deny the the impact that a pastry program has on the infrastructure of a restaurant, the revenue of an a la carte restaurant, especially. Absolutely. You know, looking at it from a numbers perspective, I totally understand the the difficulty when you have a program that isn't necessarily making money. It's the first thing that's given away for free. Yep. And 
So a lot of times it is being outsourced to a cook or a savory cook or, you know, garmo pastry sort of thing, which I've definitely been a part of too. And, and luckily for here, I think, you know, I never thought I was going to stay in fine dining this long, but there's a romantic part of it. You know, I'm in love with it because there's so much opportunity here, creative outlet, the resources, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have a fixed we have a fixed revenue essentially, especially because, luckily for us, people have enjoyed it and they come back and they've spread the word. So, we definitely, you know, that was the big thing bringing me onto this project was to have a significant portion of the menu be pastry and selfishly for me, that's what makes it so great. Right. You know, and right. and I can have a team and even though our entire team is really small i have somebody that i can depend on to execute every day and so that you have one other chef to partie that works with you yeah so i've um courtney she is my sous chef Mm -hmm. but she's also working a station too and and but there's only seven of us total in the kitchen wow so you know it was it was definitely a goal of ours we wanted to open we wanted to have the people that we thought were the most talented, hardest working, these were all people that we had knew previously, and um, it's just, it's been a push, but, you know, we also wanted to pay them in a way that they could live. Right, right, (laughs) a fair wage. Exactly. I get that, I get that. And... So it's it's not for lack of trying that we want to create an environment where they can learn, mm. they can push, and but also have a life, and that's also the reason why we're closed two days. Right. And, and but I I think that the places where that exists are fewer and far between mm-hmm, mm-hmm. these days. And it's true. And. I don't know. I I am in this situation where, again, this fantasy restaurant. I don't know if that would be the case if it was a la carte or sure. a different restaurant yeah, where so we were struggling to get people in here. And it's it's the first it. thing to get cut. Mm-hmm. It's not for everyone. Yeah, for sure. Um, describe your philosophy with the desserts that you you have because you have those like four or five dishes on, mm-hmm. on the menu, which is more than a lot of pastry chefs get to play around with. And so right now you have uh, at least the menu that I pulled, and you can mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, but it's croissant, lychee, sweet potato, and then your minardis. So what do you look for when you're when you're writing that, and how does it change and ebb and flow and right. evolve for you? When we were discussing the menu before we opened, we pretty much had a specific format that we wanted to stick to. Mm-hmm. Uh, we knew we wanted to do at least 15 courses, um, we didn't want people rolling out of here yep. feeling disgusted or that they couldn't, you know, go out for another drink. Uh, we also didn't want the meal to take the entire night. We didn't want people to have to commit their entire evening to us sure. just because, you know, not that we think that we know everything or think that we know what people want, but from our experience, that's how we wanted to eat. Um, we wanted things to be kind of quick in the beginning, small bites, things that you picked up with your hands, interactive. Um, so when I was doing the menu, it was a challenge for me because I'm following 10 plus delicious filling courses and I thought to myself, I really only have about a dozen bites before you start to go from that point of being comfortably full to yep feeling like you're going to roll out of here. Uh, So I've definitely stuck to that format. I give myself a dozen bites, give or take a few, and and everything is small, but it has to make an impact. Mm. Um, There's going to be something refreshing to kind of break it up. And then, you know, we played around with it. We evolved. Things changed significantly pretty much every day for the first year. Um, not necessarily discernible to the general public, but for us and, 
you know, we sit somebody down from the restaurant every couple weeks, every couple months. I was noticing months. you and Tim ate here yeah. in October, right? We did. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's as much uh, to just have a break, but as it is to see how the experience is. I mean, we look at this food every single day. We look at it from the kitchen, you know, all the plates going out, but it's a completely different experience when you sit and you get to interact with our front of the house staff, which is incredible. Um, and we need to eat because we need to see how everything flows together and to see if the amount of food is okay. When we first opened, I guess is an example of how it's changed significantly. We used to have uh, a pretty traditional cheese course um, with different cheeses, accoutrements, crackers, things like that. And we wanted it to be a communal experience, but then we were noticing that people were just stopping eating. Nobody, nobody wanted to take the last bite. Got you know, it. nobody wanted to to be that person. Yeah, yeah. So it was extending our the length of the experience to the point where it was detrimental to later tables, to other reservations. So we had to switch it up, and that's when we put the cheese with the croissant, mm. uh, and that was kind of our pseudo-cheese course. Right. So that's Ashbrook is the name of the cheese. Ashbrook cheese. Got it. Um, and that's been, the croissant has probably been, a iteration of it has been on there since we opened. Got it. Um, and I've been wanting to take it off, but it's crazy that we have so many regulars. Right. Um, and I just feel like that's one of the dishes, along with the <clears throat> the pasta mm. um, and the bread, I feel like is another dish where people would just I mean, be mutiny pretty, if pretty, we took it off. That's a pretty Midwest cliche set of things yeah, that right? people love, you know, the bread, the pasta, the cheese, yeah, of and, course. And so, you know, we definitely change things, but there's also things that have been on since the beginning just because people love it so yeah, much. you gotta listen to the market. Yeah. They're telling you they love it. Don't, don't right. take it away from the them. The pasta's for sure that dish. And and so luckily there's so many other courses that we can play, of play course, around with. Of course, so it's not, that's just the but only thing. Yeah. But there's always been a sushi bite. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. There's always been an oyster. Mm -hmm. Things like that. Just different different um, sets and new dishes revolving around other ingredients. Mm -hmm. But do you guys, uh, do you and the savory guys fight over ingredients ever? Because I would um, assume you guys try not to repeat any ingredients. So We try. It's not the end of the world if it happens. It's happened before. Mm -hmm. um, Noah's very lax about that. He's like, he'll ask, are you going to, thinking about using this? If not, like, that's totally cool. Yeah. You know, I'll use something else. But there hasn't been too much overflow. And there's never been a, a tug of war yeah, with ingredients. But there's definitely overlap because some of the things that he does are, you know, they do have fruit or things like that. And, and I usually, I didn't do savory ingredients a lot before, um, but I've been trying to get out of my comfort zone and, and work with savory things. So right. we definitely trade off for sure. Sure. Uh, I think... Back back to that point you made about actually sitting down and eating mm -hmm. the entire meal. I think that's really overlooked. My 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 mentor, the guy who I was working with last, which was in Norway, we would do that pretty frequently. Oh, nice. where we would, you know, like Justin, you and one of the front of house people are sitting down mm -hmm. next week, and you're going to eat the full tasting menu. We would uh, we would put mm -hmm. scales down and we would weigh the food to make sure that like okay, if you get the seven-course tasting right. menu, you're getting 780 grams of food. Right. And then making sure that, like, the smaller four-course menu, you were getting the same amount of food. Yeah, exactly. Or, like, right. you know, however that works. And he would, al he would also instill this principle of, you know, because when you, when you plate up a dish for people to try, usually you'll have, like, one spoon of it, and you right. hope that you get yeah. enough mix of everything. But he would always kind of, like, I would give it to him, and he would take one spoon, and then he would say, "Okay, now you eat the whole, the whole rest of the other, right. the rest of the dish, right. just to make sure that like you eat the entire dish, and make sure that not just that one spoon that you get." Right. Do, do you guys do anything similar to that, or is that kind of hopefully conveyed in that 
Um, I have to shout out to Dan, our friend that just moved to, back to Norway yesterday. Nice. Pretty cool. Um, but it's hard. It's hard. You know, when we make a dish, we eat the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we make a separate dish, hopefully for somebody else to eat the whole thing. It's totally different in a tasting menu format, which is probably the biggest shift for me. I definitely had this um, a la carte format that you stuck to, you know, so that you could give somebody everything that they wanted in one plate. Uh, Luckily for us, I think we have the leeway to purposely leave out something that we want to incorporate later in the meal to kind of create this crescendo of an experience. Um, I think that one of the most, uh, one of the things that people are most surprised about is textures in our dishes. And I think that's something that we focus on, but also something that we don't necessarily have to put into every single dish. Mm. but that just emphasizes how important it is for us to sit down, to go through and taste everything. You make a good point with the you know amount of food. People are always like, "How oh, am I going to eat 15 courses?" But it's not necessarily more food than you would have at a a la carte restaurant yep. in a traditional three menu right. course setting. Right. So, or three dish course setting. You're but. Fine. Um, we're in the restaurant. <laughs> you know, we are our biggest fans, but our harshest critics, and and all we want to do is give a better experience to the guests, and and what better way to learn from that than to do it on ourselves? Yep. You know, so yep. and it's just a nice perk to be able to do that for employees too, and exactly. just like here, this is what you're a part yeah, of. Yeah, exactly. You know? And I, I think that was an interesting way that you put into perspective where you say you have like a dozen bites to work mm-hmm. with. I've, I've never heard of it compared to like that, but that's yeah, it's a good way to put it where it's like you only have... Because then you can decide if you... like. It doesn't all have to be, you know, uh, four three-bite dishes. Right. You can have a one-biter. Right. And then a five-biter and then a two-biter and a... Yeah. Know. So the way it is now, I think it's probably three bites. The croissant is maybe three... Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little tempura sweet potato ice yep. cream that's probably three or four bites. And then Minyard D's is a series of three little different desserts. So that can be eaten. It can be passed on. And, right. un- you know, it's unfortunate when that happens, but yeah. that's the choice that's mm-hmm. given to the guests, mm-hmm. um, which allows me that leeway of, also incorporating certain things that I want to incorporate, but leaving leaving them off as well. Sure. Are there any ingredients that you stay away from or that you won't use in your desserts? And, and, and if so, maybe you can provide a reason behind that. Now, there, there aren't that I won't try. Mm-hmm. I definitely used to stay away from savory ingredients before, um, just because I wasn't really comfortable using them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I, I switched and I made the the menu pretty savory for this the menu iteration before this. Um, but I was also using pretty gentle ingredients. I was using cucumber and, and corn and things like that, things that were naturally sweet. But I the only thing I'll say is I won't use an ingredient that doesn't have a discernible flavor just to for the sake of using it sure sure um you know but i think that there's always ways to enhance flavors um i i like to do complementary flavors but everything that i do is so small that i have to do something that had that's very strong mm. um just because people are only going to have one or two bites of it. And right. if they don't understand what it's going to taste like or what it's supposed to taste like, then it's just going to be lost mm-hmm. on them. So um, I think the biggest thing that I learned, especially from the savory people, is, and Noah and Tim specifically, 
when you're using an ingredient and let's say a savory one like cucumber or corn you have to try and make it taste as much of itself as possible and usually that incorporates using salt and and sugar and things like that and it's been it's been educational for me as as a chef in general um to see them cook and see what they do because it's definitely changed how I formulate things how I make recipes um because I don't really measure things anymore when I start out because most of the time I'm going to make it 10 times before I'm happy with it right right so I usually just try and eyeball it and then once I get something that I'm happy with the flavor I'll have remembered generally what I added to it and then I'll weigh it out got it and create a recipe for it then that would drive Courtney crazy probably if you just (laughs) flew by the seat of your pants all the time yeah I definitely um had a conversation with her about intuition Mm. um you know a recipe is only going to get you so far but I definitely will come to her with a final final recipe and even then it still gets changed when we when we make it together and, sure. and yeah. taste it together. And she has a she has a good intuition and a good palate. Have you guys worked together way. before? No. We did not. Okay, you brought her on. Yeah, so I, um, when we first opened, there was definitely that, I think, skepticism mm. uh, of a new, a new restaurant opening. So I had a lot of difficulty finding a cook uh. to commit, especially because of the time frame. Of course. Um, so I hired somebody on that was very green, and I think it was a little too much in terms of, you know, when you go from not having experience to working in fine dining. And it's ambitious. And- it's, it's tough, and, and I thought, you know, that's how I started. I was green, so I had a mentor. Somebody took me in and taught me, and, and if you're not in this for your life, it's, it's hard, and... And it's been refreshing to have somebody that understands that and has, you know, had experience and and wants to learn from me, which right. is crazy. But right. <laughs> right. So going back to the savory food part, I, I, I had read that you like to cook at home. What does it usually look like when you make savory food for yourself? Oh man! Uh, <laughs> and I know, I know, I know, chef food is all over the map sometimes. You know, well, I this... have friends who do amazing dinner parties, and I have yeah. friends who just go home and make ramen and pasta right. like, we've done countless times well tim and i just moved into an apartment that's we've had this apartment for maybe six months so i have to to edit that saying i only like to cook in a nice kitchen yeah there you and go. this is the first nice kitchen we've ever had <laughs> the first thing we bought for this apartment was a butcher block table hell yeah um it's game changing you know, it was like the only thing that we wanted for this place. Right, right. And a nice, a nice dining room table to sit at. Those were the only two things we wanted. And so we are able to cook here, um, which is awesome. But we get home at maybe one, one thirty in the morning, and we eat rice, kimchi, a fried egg, and pickled ginger almost every single Those day. Those are the best. <laughs> That's like the best meal. Eater came out with an article last night. It was a pretty lengthy one. Did you get a chance to look at that thing? It was like four like chapters yeah. in it. Mm-hmm. And it was all about virality and food and all that stuff. Right. Does that... And I'll link it up for everybody listening, but does that play into any of the ways that you end up plating your food or how you think about dishes? Mm. Or do you think about kind of like that Instagrammable effect? In I think fashion? jokingly, yes. Yeah, um, yeah. I've been doing a lot of, (laughs) I mean, on Instagram, I'm a nobody, but I like to have fun with it. You know, it amuses me. So I'll do like stop motion videos with plating, or I always try and incorporate music to it. Uh, I think it's just for my own amusement more so than anything. But I mean, you can't deny the impact that social media has on advertising, on, on, just being relevant in 
society, I mm-hmm. guess, mm-hmm. but you also have to kind of take it with a grain of salt, too. Um, to not go to Rainbow Crown on everybody. Yeah, right? I mean, I, I post to stay relevant for the restaurant. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much the only things that I post. I'll do, like, one every couple days, one once a day or something like that, but... Um, and we have a social media page for Oriole, but it's just to let people know what we're doing. Right, um, right. That should be the draw, not any yeah. sort of, like, fanfare and plating right. or ideas of dishes or... I mean, our food is pretty straightforward. It's mm-hmm. it's nothing that you can't wrap your brain around. Sure, sure, <laughs> sure. Um, so that's... It's definitely there, and, and we appreciate it. Mm-hmm. We appreciate all the following that we've gotten and and it's it's a strong force but you can't you know judge your worth on what other people are saying especially if they haven't even been here you know so of course if they're just judging it on a photo exactly do you uh have any opinions on the 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 (laughs) chefs who are kind of looking to get that one Instagram famous dish and kind of ride that wave because there has been kind of an uptick of those. I mean, I don't think there's any negative judgment towards Mm -hmm. it. I think that when you're in a restaurant, when you're working in this industry and thinking about how we've gotten to this, it's just a very surreal sometimes uncomfortable Mm. it's (laughs) you know what I mean we used to work in kitchens so that we didn't have to be in the public eye you know and and the fact that it's gotten to this point is pretty crazy but to be able to influence people in a positive way I guess you can you can look at it that way Um, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that especially with the way that this industry is now and how many people are looking at you. Mm-hmm. It's kind of natural to be known for something or to have a signature dish sure. in that way. Sure. Um, it would be nice because there's things that we're proud of, you know, and mm-hmm. it would be awesome to be like, hey, look, this is something that I'm super proud of and and... I, I don't want to change it because I worked so hard on it and things like that, but I think that something that I'm scared to do is change. I'm scared of evolving, but it's just a part of the process, and it's something that we have to do to to not decay from mental atrophy, I guess. Right, right. You're totally <laughs> a bigger right. picture. You're totally right. Uh, what advice do you have, if any, to the new kind of pastry chefs coming into the industry because there's quite a few culinary students that listen right. to the show and oh man so, so a lot of them are on the savory side just because <laughs> that's how I present the show that's right. how I grew up and that's right. how I, where, where I feel comfortable giving any expertise but if if there are any pastry chefs listening that are new how is this landscape different maybe for how oh, you man. came up with it or where, what should they be thinking about um I guess if I <laughs> <laughs> It's hard. It's it's hard to be able to influence people, I guess. It's mm-hmm. something that I've never really be, been comfortable with, but you have to you have to love fundamentally doing this. You have to love everything about it. Being passionate about something is also loving the not glamorous parts of it. I mean, this is not like we said before, you could be doing something and making way more money for a lot less effort and it took me a long time to appreciate the art of doing something over and over and over and over again and there's so many people that come out here they want to do everything they want to learn everything the only way you're going to get to that point is if you feel comfortable doing something over and over and over again because that's what you're going to be doing in this industry for the rest of your life and that creative freedom does not come easily it does not come quickly I mean I've been doing this for I don't even want to say how long but there's always going to be a new goalpost. there's always going to be 
a different challenge. It's never going to get easier. Um, you know, I, I had some really amazing mentors, and some at my first job. And it's like, eventually, that learning curve plateaus, right? You, you are able to go into different environments and adapt quicker. And I think that's, that's the part of, of experience that makes people better. But it's also up to you to challenge yourself all the time. And, you know, Courtney and, Courtney and I talk about how there's always a better way. There's always a better way. I might not necessarily know it, but I know it's out there and I'm not going to stop looking for it. And... And for me, that goes with the appreciation of I'm going to be doing something every single day. I want to find the best, the quickest, the fastest, most efficient, easiest way to do it. Because I'm not looking to make my life harder. I want to make it as easy as possible, you know. And, and that comes with understanding that Sometimes you have to feel uncomfortable and break out of your molds to realize that there might be a better way to do something. And luckily you can find a mentor that doesn't want to make things harder just to spite you. They want to actually make you a better cook. And, and that's kind of the culture that we created here was we have this pedigree of people that have worked in the industry for decades. and. All we want to do is teach you in a way so that you don't make those same mistakes, but at the same time, sometimes those mistakes are necessary. Right. And, you know, I don't want to tell people to not be scared. I'm scared every day. <laughs> it's like you have to evolve and you have to force yourself to do it. I mean, sometimes you just have to do it anyway, even if you don't want to do it. Right, right. And, yeah. You if, have to be passionate about it. If you were starting off today, would you do something like come up to the back door of Oriole and just be like, you Absolutely. guys have been doing it for decades, let me let me learn from you? Or would you start <clears throat> at a pastry shop chain and learn something? Because there's a give and take with both. Right. So especially, like I mentioned, when, when, when it was kind of like the golden age of, of Michelin star pastry cooking at that point where you could learn from all these people who had pastry chefs in their kitchens right now that we're in a bit of a different landscape would you where would you start if it was you um, so my story was a little bit unique just because I started I went to culinary school I started culinary school they didn't have a separate pastry program so I did savory pastry um, but I also got my first industry job when I started and I worked at a place called Flower Bakery in Boston, and it was Joanne and my managers, Nicole, and all the people training me, <clears throat> they were the best bosses I ever had. And I think that was unique because, you know, this industry has horror stories of abuse and all those things, and I didn't start that way. I started in the most empowering culture of a business that I still to this day have ever seen in my career. That's fantastic. And <clears throat> it was this anomaly. You know, I was working for a smart, strong woman that I respected, um, who paid her employees well, who cared about them and understood that if you cared about them, they would care about the guests. Right. Um, and it's something that I'll, I'll always remember. But then I always I also worked for companies that I didn't agree with. Mm. And I did have exposure to turn and burn, mm. high volume, fine dining, a bakery, hotels. I think that everybody just kind of has to carve their own path. I don't think that there's a, a mistake. I don't think that there's necessarily you know, wrong choices. I think that there's choices that help you learn what you want and what you don't want for your life and for your career. Um, I definitely think that 
I could have jumped and worked at places that would have propelled me further, but I also don't think that I was ready at that point. Even after 11 Madison Park, I would go on stages and people would be like, make a dessert. Oh. And I'd be like, what is that? Yeah. I've, I've been so trained to be this workhorse to just work efficiently exactly that I had never made a dish that was mine before and I just got I was kind of blindsided by it because I never realized you know I was been doing it for a decade and I had never created anything of my own which was kind of crazy that I it took me that long to realize that and Mm -hmm. I think that the maybe the positive thing for people coming out now is that they have those resources to learn and and that they can have their own creative freedom and maybe do it faster but they still have to appreciate a foundation sure so i don't know if my two cents means anything but i've I've been doing this for a long time and I've seen a lot of shit <clears throat> and I know what I want and what I don't want for my career, which for me means my life because right. I work to live mm-hmm. and, and I think that the biggest thing after all, you know, I've had a million jobs and, and don't let a situation or a place or a person make you question what you're good at or what you want to do out of life because if you're worried about something now you're just going to be worried about something else later on and you just got to do it anyway that's it i appreciate that that's really really good um where can people find you online or how how Um, if, if anywhere do you want them to follow the restaurant you we do have a page we have uh an Instagram page for Oriole. Mm-hmm. I have an Instagram page mm-hmm. um, that I post personally and professionally. Is that at the Genie Kwan? Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. Um, but yeah, I've, I, you know, post when I can, and then other, all the other times I'm working. So please, please, please go follow Genie and Oriole if you folks want more content from her or the restaurant. I had a ton of fun with that interview. I mean it when I say that I want to interview who you guys want to hear from, people who are in the heat of it, who can really bring value to you in whatever stage of your career you are in. So if you want to get involved in any way, hit me up on Twitter at Justin underscore Kana. Make sure to hashtag the emulsion so I can find you. That is T-H-E- E-M-U-L-S-I-O-N. Shout out to all my supporters on Patreon. You guys make this show possible. And head over to my YouTube channel and make sure you're subscribed there because Jeannie generously offered to feed me. So I got the experience uh, the of Oriole, the stellar 15-course uh, menu at Oriole. I've definitely got an entire movie coming out uh, dedicated to that experience, so stay tuned for that. I hope you all have a great rest of your day. Justin Kana signing off. Have a good one. <laughs>